Executives with the American Automobile Association were searching for a location for their national headquarters. Their search led them to Central Florida, where two sites made the final cut. One site was located in southwest Orlando. The other site was located in what was then rural Seminole County. It was along Interstate 4, just west of the little village of Lake Mary. The executives set about comparing the sites. They didn't want to leave anything to chance. Gino Pellucci was the man pushing the Seminole County site. He had purchased hundreds of acres of land and envisioned building a bustling office park filled with dozens of national companies. Behind the office park, he planned to build a gated residential community with multi-million dollar homes. He called the development Heathrow. Real estate was a new venture for Gino. He had made stacks of cash in the packaged food business, but he had never been a real estate developer. You're listening to Celery City Stories, the podcast that explores the incredible history of Sanford, Florida they didn't teach you in school. I'm your host, Dan Payne. Welcome. Thanks for listening to another Celery City Story. There's a joke in Florida that when you apply for your driver's license, they also give you a Florida real estate license. Now, that's not the case, but it seems like everybody you know is connected to real estate in some way. I probably know three dozen friends or close personal acquaintances that are real estate agents, and I don't know that I'm that unique here in Florida. And if you're not a real estate agent, you're doing something with real estate. You're either in the title business or you're in a a real estate attorney or you're buying and flipping houses. I often joke that real estate is Florida's economic drug of choice. So this is a story about the time that Gino Pellucci got into the real estate game. But unlike everyone else, Gino got into real estate in a big way. Gino was born and raised in Duluth, Minnesota, to Italian immigrants. He came to Sanford in the 1940s, searching for produce for a line of canned Chinese food called Chongqing. He worked out a deal with the celery packing houses to pick up, for free, all of the misshaped and weird-looking celery that the wholesalers couldn't sell to the supermarkets. Gino planned to chop it up and put the celery in cans, along with all of the other ingredients for chow mein, so no one really cared what it looked like so long as it tasted good. On paper, it shouldn't have worked. A first-generation Italian-American introducing cook-at-home Chinese food in the United States during the 1940s? But it did work. Gino's timing was perfect. The country was booming after World War II, and thousands of GIs returning from the South Pacific helped fuel Americans' taste for Asian cuisine. Gino eventually sold Chongqing to R.J. Reynolds for $63 million. It was 1966, back when $63 million was real money. In 1967, he conceived of an egg roll, not filled with traditional Asian ingredients, but filled with pizza toppings. He named these tasty treats Gino's Pizza Rolls. 
To the delight of teenagers and stoners alike, Gino's pizza rolls began appearing in supermarkets across the country in the 1970s. Gino would eventually sell that company to Pillsbury for $140 million in the 1980s. At that point, Gino had earned hundreds of millions of dollars, and the entrepreneurial spirit was still driving him, so why not try real estate development? He figured the key was landing a major company like AAA to locate in the Heathrow International Business Park. That would make it easier to convince other companies, developers, and residents to move to Heathrow. It wasn't going to be easy. The AAA executives didn't want to leave anything to chance. They were thorough in their analysis of both sides. The pros and cons of each location were ranked, and the competition was tight. The Heathrow location appeared to be at a disadvantage because it was substantially further away from the Orlando International Airport. Access to the airport was one of the factors the AAA executives used to evaluate the two sites. Today, State Road 417 provides easy, fast access to OIA from Heathrow, but it didn't exist in the 1980s. Gino argued that the second location, while closer to the airport, was in a highly congested area with lots of traffic. He proposed a race from each location to the airport. The executives agreed, and one car left from each location at the same time. The car from Heathrow arrived at the airport first. It would be another 20 minutes before the second car arrived. Chino had been right about the traffic. Turns out though, there may have been some shenanigans. Unbeknownst at the time, Gino had arranged for a semi-truck to break down another second location just as the competition began. It snarled traffic for about an hour and ensured that his Heathrow location would win the race. But that's not the end of this story. I first heard this story in the early 2000s at a Lake Mary Chamber of Commerce meeting. I figured it was more urban myth than fact, but it was interesting so I related the story in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way in my next column for the Sanford Herald. A couple of days later, I received a letter in the mail. I knew immediately who it was from. Gino would write me letters from time to time to comment on some issue I had published, so I was familiar with his personal stationery. I looked at the envelope with apprehension. Gino could be incredibly litigious. He kept a stable of lawyers on retainer and was quick to file a lawsuit. He could also be pretty spiteful. In the 1980s, Gina was lobbying the state of Florida to build an interchange at I-4 and County Road 46A. The interchange would help his Heathrow Business Park continue to grow. The Orlando Sentinel predicted Gina would fail in his efforts and Sentinel columnist Bob Morris routinely ridiculed Gino's efforts. He began to refer to Heathrow as, quote, death row because of the lack of development at the time. In 1999, at the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the opening of that interchange the Sentinel and Bob Morris said would never happen, Gino told the Sentinel reporters to, quote, go to hell and eat crow while you're there. Gino had paid a taxidermist to stuff a crow, and as he taunted the Sentinel reporters, he held up that stuffed crow in the air for everybody to see. 
So that was the image in my mind as I opened Gino's letter. Mr. Ping, as to your death row story, sorry, you are wrong. Oh, fudge. Except, just like Ralphie from Christmas Story, I didn't say fudge. The letter continued. As luck would have it, there were two trucks that broke down, not one. Luck comes in bunches sometimes. <laughs> and that, my friend, is why Gino Paluzzi was a successful businessman. He never left anything to chance. I know they didn't teach that story in school, now did they? Do you own a local business? Are you trying to get your message out to people who support the local community? We need to talk. Celery City Stories is a perfect platform to reach people who care and want to be connected to their local community. I mean, why else are they listening to the podcast that explores the incredible history of Sanford they didn't teach you in school? So send me an email at dan at celerycitystories.com and let's talk. Gino Pellucci was an interesting cat. I really enjoyed all my interactions with him, uh, or most of my interactions with him, and they were very limited. I, I think I met Gino face-to-face -face a couple of different times, and then, of course, he would write me those letters sometimes three or four times a, a year, and most of them were positive. Uh, there was a time or two he threatened to sue me, but uh, we figured it out. <laughs> that was just Gino. Gina was a very determined businessman. I mean, not only did he arrange for a couple of trucks to break down, he told the story many times when he was trying to get Chung King off the ground. He was meeting with uh, one of the big supermarket uh, buyers to try to convince him to put Chung King in the stores, and he brought a can of Chung King with him and offered uh, to, to have the supermarket buyer taste it right there in his office. And as Gino opened the can... He noticed that there was a dead cricket on on the top of the chow mein. And the supermarket executive didn't see it. Gino, of course, saw it, grabs a spoon and says, hey, this looks so good, I think I'll take a bite myself. And uh, shoveled up a, a big spoonful of chow mein with that cricket and just munched down on it as the, uh, as the supermarket executive looked on and, and was none the wiser, I suppose. Clearly, he made the deal. I always appreciated Gino's connection with uh, the Sanford Herald and, and the local news market. He would spend about six months of the year in Sanford and the other six months up in um, his hometown of Duluth, Minnesota, with all of his business interests and all of the things he had going on in his life. He was very up-to-date with what was going on in Sanford, and I'm sure with Duluth as well. And I appreciated the fact that he took the time to not only keep up with the news, but let me know his thoughts on, on the news. I hope you enjoyed that story about Gino, and I hope you're enjoying these Celery City stories. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you wouldn't mind, if you're enjoying these stories, if you would share this podcast with a friend on your social media platform of choice, Facebook, Twitter, Snap, whatever it is you enjoy, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing this, uh, there's links and uh, on the website as well as if you have a favorite podcast player that you're using, there's, of course, ways to share it through that as well. So 
if you would just take a time and and share that with uh, your circle of influence, I would I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back next week with another Celery City story.